Hey y'all, I am so fired up because the Unstoppable Success Summit is in my hometown, Dallas, Texas this year. We are going to be coming to Dallas April 19th and 20th, 2024. So come join us. Look, success is built on relationships and this is not some big, huge conference with thousands of people. This is an intimate, a very exclusive experience on purpose so you can build those meaningful connections so you can rub shoulders with people like, oh my goodness, I've got John Gordon, Ben Newman, Rachel Luna, Rudy Ricksteins, Henry Amar. Um, I'm speaking, there are mastermind members taking the stage. And so getting in the room is key and getting in the right room can help you achieve unstoppable success. So if you spend your time with people who see your potential, you're more than likely to reach it. So make this year make 2024 the most unstoppable, most successful year possible. Level up your business, level up your life, get the clarity, gain the confidence, get the real tools taught by people who have already paved the way for you. And um, I can't wait to see you there. So get ready to ditch your limiting beliefs and, and, uh, Stop listening to fear and go after your dreams. Go to unstoppablesuccesssummit.com and I can't wait to see you in Dallas. Okay, see you there. Thank you for tuning in to the True Grit and Grace podcast. I'm Amberly Lago and I'll be sharing inspirational stories of resilience and empowering ideas to elevate your business and your life ignite your passion and fuel your purpose. Hey, it's Amberly. Thank you so much for tuning in to True Grit and Grace. I have someone that I have been so, so excited. And if I can be completely transparent, a little bit nervous about having on the show to interview because I have so much respect and I am just like, humbled by all he has done. I've got Jason Redman here, y'all. He is a two times best-selling author, not just any best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author. I've got his books right here. I'll hold them up in just a minute. He's a former lieutenant who spent 11 years on the list of Navy SEAL and almost 10 years as a SEAL officer. He was awarded the Bronze Star Medal with Valor, the Purple Heart, the Defense meritorious service medal he's been awarded so many like different awards like that's why i think i'm sweating and i'm a little bit nervous to interview him but he's an incredible incredible guy who has so many different programs out there to teach people about leadership and how to get off the x and we'll go into that he's got so many programs now and he's got a new book coming out that we'll talk about too so jason thank you so much for being here can you tell him a little bit nervous that's okay, Emily. Hey, you know what I am? I'm human. Yeah, you know, I was talking to my husband um because he was in the Navy. My husband is a retired lieutenant commander with a CHP after he got out of the Navy. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I have both of your books here. Let me just hold them up. For those of you who are on YouTube, uh, the Trident and Overcome are your books. I've got highlighted things, pages flipped down. But I was telling my husband, I, I was actually like, really, like I've been so, and I told your assistant this too. I was like, I think I've been more excited to have you on the show 
than any other guest. And sorry for those who have been a guest that are hearing that right now, but I really have because I started my podcast to talk about stories of resilience and man, you, your story of resilience and all you have overcome. I didn't want to tell your story about what happened to you. Cause I'd love if you shared a little bit of that and how you've rebuilt, not just your, your mindset, your body, like your, I don't know how long you were in the hospital, but your whole life. And now what you do for others to inspire them to be great leaders is just, it's mind-blowing. It's amazing what you do alongside with your, you know, your wife, Erica, who you're going to be writing your new book with that. I think it's so important right now, but would you mind, I know you've shared your story a lot, but I just want the listeners to understand a little bit about who you are and what you went through. But before we get into the details of the, the, when you got shot and all that, do you think that growing up the way that you did being involved in athletics and on the wrestling team and stuff like that, do you think that that helped you or prepared you to be a SEAL or to be on a great team? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think athletics, for any kids, athletics is such a great thing. We learn, you learn adversity, you learn how to work with different people, you learn how to work with different people towards a common goal, you learn how to work with people you don't always like, you learn how to deal with loss. Uh, So I am a huge fan of athletics. We made all our kids be involved in athletics uh, as they grew up. And I just, I just think it's a great thing. It helped me. I mean, I was not a kid that was big into athletics until around the time I said, Hey, I want to go in the military. I want to be a SEAL. And um, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta get tougher. (laughs) Well, I mean, I heard like, I think it was an interview that I I heard you speaking on that um, when you first got into athletics, like you weren't necessarily like the toughest guy when you were there and you took quite a beating. And it's like, to look at you now, you're like, I think one of the toughest guys in the world. So do you think like getting in athletics and taking those beatings that helped develop your grit? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think for anybody out there doing hard things and doing things that um, you may not like, I mean, I was a runt. I, I was definitely probably one of the smaller guys on the football team. I got my ass kicked on a regular basis. And when I went to wrestle, we had a state champion who wrestled pretty much in the same weight class that I did. And boy, he used to just mop the floor with me. Um, But I learned a lot. And, you know, when you, when you get beat, it teaches you a lot about yourself and Mm -hmm. to continue to show up. A lot of people, you know, when we lose, it's not a good feeling to lose. Nobody likes to lose, Mm -hmm. but you learn a lot about people from loss and from failure. And I talk a lot about that. And if you can learn to overcome those things and keep driving forward and, you know, keep your goal uh, and also understand all the intangible lessons that come from it. Like, you know, I think I didn't play football thinking I was going to go go on and play football in college or ever play in the NFL. There was no never any dreams like that. I played football for one reason. I, I liked it. I love football. And number two, I knew there was a lot of lessons I was learning from it how to be part of a team, how to overcome, how to be mentally and physically harder. So those were all the things that it taught me. So there was a purpose for me. I wanted to become a SEAL. And these were things that I knew would help me. 
Well, you knew from a very young age that you were like, I want to be a SEAL. So can we talk about that? Like, because for me, I also knew, I think from the time I was like eight years old, that I was going to be a professional dancer and I was going to move to Los Angeles and pursue that career. I don't know how I exactly I knew that, but I knew it. And you knew from a very young age, you were like, I want to be a SEAL. And you went and got rejected. Like, yeah pretty harshly, but that didn't, you were like, I, nope, I'm doing this. What do you think it, it was in you that was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to keep going back until I achieve it. What do you think, where do you think that drive comes from? You know, some of it, I think just lies within me. And that's something there. We all know there are certain uh, genetic makeups and personality traits. And some of that, I think just lies in me. Uh, I think on our family side, we're pretty stubborn and, and tenacious. So some of that is genetic. Some of it is learned over time. Some of it is a commitment to learn. And I try to tell people that like, you know, you may not consider yourself that tough of an individual, but we've all seen someone that gets pushed into the fire. Something happens to them you know, the mom that somebody attacks them and tries to take her baby and suddenly she is a saber tooth tiger and attacks like two grown men or something and beats them off to, to save her baby. I mean, it's amazing what people can do when they're putting what I like to call these overcome moments. But, um, you know, I, I think it just one of the traits for me, if you tell me I can't do something, it fires me up. Even to this day, me too. Rejected. and I don't, typically get angry about it. Um, you know, we all get frustrated. We all get, Oh, I can't believe that I got told no. Yeah. Uh, but I always, I never accept no as just no ever. And I've told my kids that, and I tell other people that, you know, Hey, make them tell you no, and then find out why, because is it a legitimate no? Or is it a no that you can work around, you know, or is there latitude in this no that I can go in different directions? Because, yeah, you no, know, and I've always viewed my life that way. So when that guy was a jerk to me, you know, the, the recruiter who was a jerk to me and basically chased me out of the office because I wasn't what he had in his mind as a Navy SEAL, you know, this, you know, <laughs> four foot 11, 95 pound runt that walked in there and was like, I want to be a SEAL. You know, he was like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty funny that that's how but I love that story. I love that so much. And, you know, in fact, just yesterday I was in the car and I love being in the car with my daughter. That's when we have our best talks, just her and I in the car. And she was like, yeah, I told daddy about um, that. I needed to do this to the, she was going to be driving soon. And she's like, I want to put racing straps on my car and this and that she's a car fanatic. And, and, and he said, well, you can't do that. That takes too long. There's no way that's possible. You can't do it. And I, I looked at her and I said, Ruby, I said, doesn't he know by now that if he tells us we can't do something, then that's exactly what we are going to do. I was like, for sure. You're getting racing stripes on your car <laughs> yeah. because it, it's motivation to me for that. So I, I love that you explain how how you grew up and how sports helped you, because I think that's really important. I'm so glad that my daughter has she's a horseback rider and she has that to to get into. Um, and she's also been in track. And I think that really helps kids to, to have an outlet. 
So when you finally did, how old were you when you finally went in to a recruiter and they were like, okay, let's do this. We'll, we'll try you. I'll let you try to be a Navy SEAL and let's see what happens. How tall were you? How much did you weigh and how old were you? So I was probably, I mean, I probably walked into the recruiting office first time when I was maybe 15 and they chased me out of there. And then I you came were back. 15? Yeah. Wow. 16, I came back and um, I think maybe that recruiter was still there, chased me out of there again. And then I, I almost joined the Army. Uh, I talk about this in my book. I almost joined the Army because the Navy recruiter was just such a jerk to me. And, um, but, you know, it's always funny how life happens. So another instance of technically being rejected, I went to uh, the military processing center to do my physical that I needed to do. I think I was 17 at this point. So I was going to do a program called delayed entry program to join the army. I was going to become an army ranger. And, um, and they disqualified me on the physical. They said, um, I had ruptured my eardrum as a kid. I had to have my eardrum reconstructed. So when the doctor looked in there, he saw scar tissue and was like, oh, you'll never be able to equalize. You, you, you won't be able to jump out of airplanes. And I oh. said, not true, because I had lived in the Virgin Islands. I had dove. I knew I could equalize. But unfortunately, you know, oftentimes with the military uh, and any bureaucracy, they don't have time for you to tell your story. They're just like, either you're qualified or you're not. And then it's on <laughs> you to fight the system and figure out how much room do I have latitude in the right and left limits. So when that occurred, I left. The army tried to get me to sign up. They were like, we'll sign you. You can do something else. And they they did this song and dance. And I was like, no, if I can't be an army ranger. I'm not coming in. So I came back, I got paperwork, I had an ENT look at my ears and prove that I could equalize. Uh, and then by the time I had that done and I was coming back to the army, there was a new Navy recruiter. And he said, hey man, the guys told me about you. I know who you are. His, guy, his name was Henry Horn. Amazing guy, great recruiter, lives in North Carolina now. Henry and I reconnected about a year ago. Oh, um, that's so awesome that you reconnected. Yeah. yeah, to thank him. I wouldn't be a SEAL if it wasn't for Henry. Wow, wow. So uh, so he said, yeah, come on in. He said, let's get you signed up. And, uh, and he helped me down that path. So back then, I mean, I don't know, probably five, six and 130 pounds. Wow. So how tall are you now? uh five seven five seven i don't know like i see you on stages pounds. yeah I, I see you on stages and i don't it's hard to tell but you look like so huge you know like <laughs> i can't you look like you're like six four not you know i it's so i, I that's why i was i'm seven foot three in here <laughs> yeah yeah it shows you know what though it uh my husband talks about um something called command presence and you have that. And so when you walk on stage, it's like, wow, you're, you're just your energy and your confidence. And so I can understand why so many people want you to speak at their event. It's because of not only the story that you share, but the energy that you bring to the event. So it's amazing. So I was just curious about that. So if we could skip into becoming a seal because that is freaking hardcore and there are a lot of people out there that try to put on things like oh let's do seal training and i'm like 
they've never even been a seal. Like what, what do they do? Like who they think they are? I'm like, no, you're the real deal. Your legitness, as my daughter would say, like your total legitness. I like this word. Oh yeah. Your total legitness going through buds. Like I know there was one point where you almost gave up, like you were thinking about giving up. Can you tell us a little bit about that before you got sent out to your, 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 no, your first, I guess, I don't know if it was your first time that you got sent out where you got shot or the, the second, I'm not sure, but tell us a little bit about the, the buds, because I don't know if people really understand how intense that is. Yeah. SEAL training is very hard. I mean, it's um, definitely regarded as the hardest training in the U S military. There are a lot of people who think it's, um, Torturous? Yes. (laughs) Torturous. And people who don't understand. Um, Bedros runs a program called The Project because there's a lot of men out there who have never been pushed outside of their comfort zone. So they don't know how to find that inner grit and resilience that unfortunately you have to get outside of your comfort zone. They call it flipping the switch to be able to push through that adversity. And there are a lot of people that don't, I mean, a lot of people think they're really tough and they're hard and they speak a big game, but then when things really start to happen, they fold like lawn chairs. Yeah. Um, and you saw that. I saw that happen when COVID happened in 2020. I saw a lot of people, the 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 ones that really had that grit and resilience were thriving. Other right. ones, I couldn't believe they like lost it, completely yep. lost it. Yeah. And and, and <laughs> that's what training teaches. Um, if any of you out there think you're, you know, there's a lot of special operations wannabes that are out there. If you think you're truly that tough, go do the project with Bedros Cooley. And I was a guest instructor. That program's legit. Um, as for SEAL training, it is, uh, you know, uh, we started with 148 and we graduated 19. I mean, we, wow. attrition rate and that's the standard attrition rate we have about a 75 to 80 percent attrition rate per class wow Wow. Um, and it's designed to be that way we want to weed out anyone who does not have the mental fortitude to go at least 10 times further Um, there were parts of training that enabled me to survive I don't think that I would be here today I easily could have given up that night on the battlefield and just given it and accepted that I wasn't going to make it but I didn't I mentally there is no doubt that's what kept me stay awake to stay alive i talk about in the book um yeah there's one quote that i want to read from your book that i love and it says even more important on the battlefield are self-discipline character and the ability to earn trust and confidence of one's comrades superiors and subordinates and embracing personal accountability and responsibility for one's actions that's in the the trident and it's so much about and on the next page it's so much about yeah about mental toughness and yes physical is is important but it's so much about mental toughness so do you feel like that's what buds teaches you like the the mental toughness of it 100 so many people think that seal training special operations training is about this but and and I talk about this in talks. It's about this and this. Mm. That's what makes the difference. Mm. Um, you don't have to be the the best physically. 
Um, you don't have to be the best runner, swimmer, and you may be horrible at those things. Obviously, we have a minimum standard you have to meet, but frequently we would see it. We would see, I'll, I'll never forget, we had a, um, uh, um, a Navy world champion triathlete. You know, he was on all the triathlete teams and he was coming to Bud's and the, the instructors were talking a lot about this guy coming, you know, this triathlete, the stud of studs. And yeah, he didn't last more than a week before he quit. And that happens wow. a lot. You see these guys who were star athletes, they don't make it because I think genetically it had been easy for them up to that point in their life. They were just genetically gifted enough to, to excel in whatever sport they played or whatever mm -hmm. they had done. And SEAL training will, it will break everyone. It is designed to do it. I don't care where you are, you know, for some people, you know, you'll break sooner than others, but they will break you. And, and you have to learn how to navigate through when you break and whether you go ring that bell and quit or whether you stay mm. and more about who you truly are. Well, when was there a time that you thought about ringing the bell? Thursday night of Hell Week. Hell Week is uh, the hardest block of training <clears throat> during SEAL training. It's in the beginning, so it's designed. It's in the beginning, and it is the true biggest crucible that every uh, young SEAL has to go through. And uh, it starts on Sunday, and it goes till typically Friday, midday, late afternoon. Uh, but you're awake almost the entire week. You might get an hour or two hours of sleep during that week. You're constantly moving. You're constantly wet, coated in sand. Oh my God! Uh, everywhere you go, you're carrying uh, uh, you and your boat crew of uh, six other individuals, seven-man boat crew, are carrying around a 300-pound boat on top of your head everywhere you go, and you're either carrying it around on top of your head, or you're rowing in it out in the ocean, or you're doing exercises with it. It, it is brutally hard. We we uh, it's not uncommon to chafe holes in your body uh by the end of the week it's not uncommon well you lost a lot of weight during that whole week too like how much weight did you lose during that time almost 20 pounds yeah i yeah. think i was 117 pounds and that picture is in my book i call it my i call it my switch picture no no offense to any of our i know but i love honestly there. i love that you have pictures in your book by the way yeah. I love that. I love it. I had, to put, yeah. I had to put them in there for the Marines. I, yeah. Love my, much, much love my crayon eating friends. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I also love that you have your, um, if y'all are listening to this and you're not watching it on YouTube, that you have the, all your medals that are behind you in that frame. Yeah. My shadow box. So I love that. My husband has a shadow box. He got a medal of valor. And so he's got a shadow box that I'm very proud of. I'm like, we got to hang that in the house. He's like, no, 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 no. But uh, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for him. To, a good background. To... Right now we're kind of, we're in disarray because we're hopefully we're starting to get ready for the transition to the new building. So. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that too, but let's go in quick about you get through the training, you make it, you're one of the few that actually do, you've got the mental toughness, you've got that grit and resilience, and then you're sent out. And on a very, very, very important, confidential, really secretive, I can't even imagine what it must have been like to go out. And, and this is before you get shot. 
Can you tell us, I know you've told this story a lot, but can you just tell us briefly like a little bit about what happened so people get an idea of what hell you have been through and what you have overcome? Yeah, but I think we skip a huge part of the story here, and I will condense it into a very Reader's Digest version. Made it through training, excelled, did really well, uh, as often happens with immature individuals who find success early it get it sometimes can go to your oh. head. that's what happened to me i got well, yeah, i do have that written down about you being quite the partier and playboy i mean <laughs> quite the partier and honestly i don't know how you partied so much and got through what you did <laughs> do you drink now or are you like I a little bit a i'm little, not okay yeah. Okay. Uh, I just wondered I'll because out for months at a time, especially when I'm focusing on a fitness goal or training for something. And yeah, but yeah, yeah. nowhere near what I used to because it doesn't do really anything for you. I mean, it's it's but nice that was kind of part of it, right? Like that was like the only thing, like yeah. the the that was what was accepted. And if you didn't drink when you were hanging out with everybody there, then they'd be like, "What's wrong with you?" which is right. so bizarre, you know, isn't it bizarre that that's. Well, I think it's just part of the protector community, you know, military law enforcement fire. I mean, it's just part of the community right or wrong. Um, I will right or wrong. I'm not here to judge. I will say, unfortunately, well, I will judge a little because unfortunately it's a, it's these jobs, the protector community, there's a lot of trauma, military law enforcement fire. Mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll put our medical first responders in there, our trauma, medical personnel, high stress, a lot of trauma. So when you already have a community where we drink a lot, now it starts to become self-medication drinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it became for me. I mean, I was never a drinker until I was diagnosed with this nerve disease and that left me in a lot of pain. And I, it was self-medication for me. It wasn't like I was a party or it was self-medication, but yeah, there are like being married to a, a former Lieutenant commander. There were stories of, you know, cops that just needed to like zone out, numb out, stuff it down, like get away from it. Luckily, my husband was able to really separate from all the crap that he would see throughout the day, which I could never imagine. But I mean, there'd be so many times where we'd be driving down the road and he would be like, don't look now, but I just arrested that guy last week and he's already out of jail. And I'd be like, who, where, where? He's like, I told you not to look, <laughs> you know, but um, uh, shootings, stuff that he saw, like the he, train crash stuff. And, and so I can understand, like, we need some support and help around our first responders um, that have to be so tough. Actually, Jason, I should refer you to um, this California group of they every two years they have a speaker that are that is for the California Firefighters Association. So it's all the lieutenants and everything. And they hired me to be their keynote speaker and they wanted me to speak on like emotional resilience. Well, can you imagine me speaking to 350 firefighters? They all had like mullets and 
big <laughs> mustaches and tatted up and they all sat with their arms crossed and I'm trying to talk them to them about being emotionally resilient. It was the hardest crowd I'd ever spoken to. And I remember going in and I said, oh, honey, these are my people. I wanted to be a firefighter at one time. This is going to be awesome. He goes, those aren't your people, Amberly. They're not going to like you. And I was like, what do you mean they're not going to like me? Like, they're my people. And I was like, I called him after. I was like, you were right. That was a tough crowd. But yeah. Jason, if they saw you like all, you know, ripped up and tatted out, they'd be like, okay, we're going to listen to him. Like he, he I speak yeah. for a lot of uh, fire and law enforcement and the, the fire associations, the, the leadership association. So, yeah, I can imagine you do. I can imagine you do, but well, my story is unique. I mean, with that leadership failure, I mean, I failed as a young leader. I mean, that is the big part of my story that a lot of people, if they haven't read my books, they don't know that they just think, Oh, you know, this seal who got all shot up, he's pretty tough. Um, what they don't realize is the toughest thing I ever went through was failing as a leader. I mean, when you're part of a community like this to fail and be told you don't measure up, I mean, I was rock bottom. I mean, I sat in a chair in Afghanistan and almost blew my brains out. Oh. In my mouth. Um, and uh, that's the hardest road I've ever walked. The plus side of that, and this is where I talk, you know, when you hit the end moments in your life and you're willing to get up and drive forward and figure out what that new beginning is, that's where you truly start to grow. Mm -hmm. And that's where you truly start to flex these muscles and these muscles and grow those muscles. Because it was the hardest thing. I have guys who were not happy that uh, my leadership decided to keep me and give me a second chance, but I had to earn it. It wasn't, you know, one of the great things about special operations, if you are a poor leader you only get a little bit of time to fix yourself because if the guys say we are not going to work with that guy, they will put you into a position to pretty much end your career. You'll just, you know, you won't be checking the boxes you need to continue to move up. Well, why and do you I, think they gave you a second chance? Uh, my commanding officer said, Hey, I had, I was a good seal. Um, I had excelled. I just was arrogant and had lost my way. I'd lost sight of what it is to be a leader, especially a leader uh, of combat personnel. I mean, lives. what do you think it takes to be a good leader? Understanding what the end state is and finding a balance between where you need to go and how you motivate the your, your people to get there. Um, some will, uh, there's a balance there though. I mean, some people will say the mission is everything. So now we start to get into the balance of people who are task-minded versus people-minded, you know, or task-oriented versus people-oriented. So I know some leaders who, you know, they 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 would kill all their own people to accomplish the mission. Um, mm. You know, that's a little extreme and, you know, it would be pretty rare that there'd be any way that that's justified. Uh, yet there are others who will never accomplish the mission because, the, you know, they're so... You know, every little problem their people have, they're more focused on that. So a good leader has to navigate through those things, give their people the resources, and then hold them accountable to move down that road. And if they're not moving you towards that end state of where you need to go, then you either need to figure out how to uh, help them fit into the machine and be an effective part of that machine, or they should not be in your machine. You know, oh, that's so good, Jason. That is so good. No matter what you're doing. 
Um, no matter, even if you're like, I, I think of that, honestly, when you're saying that, I think of that with my mastermind, the people that I want in my mastermind, how I can be a good leader for them. And if they're going to be able to fit in the machine and move forward, and if they're not, then they're not a part that I, I got it. It's hard. It's a hard decision. And I've actually had to let a couple of people go that, and it was hard to say, sorry, you can't join the machine. You can't join it. But that is such a great way of describing it, how you just described it with, with the leadership. How do you think that you learn to get out of your ego more, stop the drinking as much and become a better leader? What really led you to that? Failure is a great, uh, great tool to humble you. Okay. Uh, so, and, and I have humility. You talk a lot about humility and you talk a lot about love. Yeah. And I love that you talk about that because I think a lot of people that see you as this big, tong, strong, tough guy, Navy SEAL, like talking about love and humility. I think that's really important. And so I really respect that you talk a lot about how the importance of humility and love. Why do you think as a leader, it's important to have both humility and love? Humility, I mean, ego is a dangerous thing. Uh, it drives you to make decisions based on uh, your passions and beliefs and and what furthers your agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, there's a balance there. We need to be a little ambitious. We need to be able to take care of ourselves. But there's confidence. I believe in myself and my ability to get things done before it gets into, I'm the best and you should bow down to me because I'm so good. And mm -hmm. the plan is the only plan. And then this gets into like, if you're not, you know, diehard loyal to me, you know, how dare you question my plan? You know, that, that that's all ego. And, you know, humility gives you the ability to say, you know what, Amberly, you're you're a member of my team. You just brought forth this idea. And guess what? Your idea is better than my idea. So I'm humble enough to say, we're going to go with Amberly's idea because it's better. And there are a lot of leaders that can't do that. A lot of leaders that can't say, I'm sorry. A lot of leaders that can't swallow their pride. Uh, and usually that ends up creating a poor culture uh, mm -hmm. within a team or organization. So I had to humble myself and come to realize I wasn't as great as I thought I was. I still try to live that way today. I recognize at any moment, um, you know, you know, I love all these people, you know, that all that say failure is not an option. That's great. But guess what? Things happen that's outside of your control. I don't care how great you think you are, or how perfect your plan is. It can go trade wreck, train wreck wrong and sideways in a moment. And guess what? You may find yourself on the receiving end of failure. And, and knowing that, and, and accepting that and understanding that's just part of the walk of this life. Um, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power not to fail. Um, but I also accept that, hey, it could happen. And I've been through it before. So guess what? I'll pick myself up. I'll get off that X and I'll drive forward again. And then the other thing is love. Um, it's all you're going to, at the end of your life, I mean, for all this stuff we have, none of it really matters. Don't get me wrong. I like stuff. Um, you know, I'm, it's, I, I was, a. I grew up pretty poor. Um, and it's exciting that I've reached a point in my life where I'm pretty successful. I mean, I'm getting ready to buy a multi-million dollar building, which is insane. 
Um, the amount of money I'm having to bring to the table is um, almost as much as the, the house I bought um, and more than many houses I bought years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, if all that was gone, it doesn't matter. Like as long as I have my friends and my family around me, that's all I really care about. I mean, I, I like being able to do stuff. I mean, trust me, I've reached a point in my life. I've, I've, I've slept on a rock wall in Afghanistan, freezing my ass off. I've slept in the swamps of uh, Fort Benning and Ranger School. I've swept, I've slept in the basin of the jungles in Peru and Colombia. And I could do all that again if I had to, but I like a five-star hotel, you know? But it, it could be gone <laughs> in the blink of an eye. And if I don't have my friends and family to share it with, then that, none of that really matters. And let me tell you, when I lay there bleeding out dying, it's all I thought about in the end. All I thought about. I sure didn't think about any of this stuff I had. And well, let's talk about that. I mean, thing. I want to talk about that. Like you're you're lying there bleeding out, dying not thinking about all the stuff, but thinking about your loved ones. Yeah. Um, and I think a, a lot of people thought, Oh, you're, he's dead. He's, he's dead. You were shot eight times. Yep. Including around in the face and which knocked me out. So my teammates saw me get hit and, uh, they thought you were dead and thought, yeah, I thought I was dead. So, and I was unconscious. We don't know. Firefight lasted about 40 minutes. Very intense firefight. Many guys um, who who went on to many, many more combat operations. DJ Shipley uh, is a teammate of mine that was in that gunfight, went on to serve at the highest levels, and now runs a great company called GBRS. And DJ said it was the most intense gunfight he was ever in. Um, and, and I was out for probably five, 10 minutes. Uh, so another you know, good 30 minutes before we finally were able to get out of it. But uh, we had and to call. How did you not bleed out? Like that's a miracle in itself that you didn't bleed out. It, yeah. it, it's unbelievable. Well, about and halfway through the gunfight, my team leader managed to run forward. They called in a fire mission, the closest fire mission ever executed in the Iraq war. We brought rounds in directly on our position uh, from an AC-130 gunship, and uh, my team leader ran forward, got me, uh, got me back to cover, and he got a tourniquet on my arm. So, I mean, I credit him to saving my life. Because um, and saving your arm, because you, I mean, your arm. I, I feel like your arm is kind of like my leg, basically. Like yeah, they were going to amputate my leg, and they were going to amputate your arm, and somebody put a tourniquet around my leg and saved my leg, basically. So somebody put a tourniquet around your arm right away and saved your arm. Yeah, my team leader. So, um, so oh yeah, that probably saved my life. But I had lost almost half my blood supply um, by the time they got me to uh, uh, Baghdad, where they medevaced me to. I needed eight blood transfusions over the next 96 hours. So... Wow. And to see pictures, y'all got to check out his book was well, first book, the Trident, but also his other book overcome. I mean, they're, they're both, you can see where I've highlighted stuff in your book. Um, 
they're both amazing but like i said i love that you show the pictures but better yet you guys have to follow jason on social media and i'll have all the links to that in the show notes so you can see how amazing he is you're going to be so inspired by him and all he does um and other thing jason that i love that you do that you shows what an incredible leader that you are is that you actually really always highlight other people in the best way. Like, oh, I see your dog. <laughs> so cute. What kind of dog do you have? He's a long-haired German Shepherd. Oh, so sweet. I don't, I have a two-pound little Yorkie poo that's not a real dog. <laughs> Yours is a real dog. <laughs> oh, gorgeous. But I love that you highlight people like in the best way, like when you're talking about uh, your teammates or you were talking about Bedros or talking about other people. So I love that. And I know we are running out of time. And so I want to get right into some of the things that you're doing because through you, you know, you surviving this accident and I don't want to even for a moment, like go short on how that journey must have been in the hospital. I, you have had how many surgeries? Almost 40. 40. That's what I, I thought you had beat me by a few. I've had 34. <laughs> You've had like 40 to put your body back together and you have a before and after picture on your social media and y'all have to check that out because it took years to get back to the the physique and the strength and everything after all of these surgeries but they saved your arm um you survived you got through the hospital and the reason i'm going through this so quick is because you have so so much to offer and i know we have so little time and i want to tell people about what you're doing to help them now so first of all your ted talk is freaking amazing thank you you're amazing you like talk about a serious subject and make people laugh throughout your talk. I wanted to cry throughout your talk. Like you did it all. So y'all have to check out his Ted talk. It was so good. And I love your acronym for react. Yes. Could you just give us real quick, like react? What does that stand for? So it can help us get through some tough times. Yeah. React is I survived an enemy ambush. Everybody gets ambushed on life. Everybody will find themselves on the X is the vernacular that we use in special operations. And in order to survive, we had to get off the X. So REACT is an acronym for anyone to use to uh, deal with a life ambush. And that's what um, Overcome is all about. It's about how we deal with life ambushes. Yeah. So react, the, the, the R stands for recognize you're in a crisis. E stands for evaluate your assets. A stands for assess your options and outcomes. C stands for choose a direction and communicate it. And A stands for action. You got to take action. You know, we've got to implement this plan. So we get deeper into that in the book. Uh, there's a lot of nuances and sticking points. And oftentimes I talk about react at speaking events, depending yeah. on companies or teams or uh, organizations are looking for. Yeah. I love that you talk about it and you explain it. If y'all want to learn even more about that, go, go check out his book overcome or, and also watch his Ted talk about it. But I, I love that you say that it's so much, it's so important to know, like 
take a good, honest look at what's going on in your life and go, okay, this is what's going on. Let me see what I can do about it before I can take action. So I love that you do that. And also one thing that I love that you say, Jason, is that, you know, a, a lot you, in a lot of your talks, you say, you know, a lot of people you think, oh, I can't relate to being in an ambush and being shot eight times. But you're like, no, we get ambushed in life all the time, whether it's you're going through a divorce or you you're, you know, you lost your job or whatever life ambushes you with. And I think right now people are going through a lot of hard times and there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of scarcity. There's a lot of scarcity mindset out there. And you really help people get through those moments by what you share um, through your experience. And you also have something that's really important, I think, for people to know about, and it's called Overcome and Survive class. And, you know, I grew up, I feel like, having to become a survivor. <laughs> we, I didn't have much money. Uh, there was abuse in the household. I started working when I was like, eight years old and had four jobs by the time I was in high school. So it was like, I think I was telling you before we even started recording, like my husband went on a second date with me because he knew I had a gun. I'm like, it's because you know, I'm from Texas. Of course I have a gun. One year I got a crossbow, like a bow and a rifle for Christmas. And I'm like, who do y'all think I am Rambo? Like what's uh, going on? But I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like seriously. I'd, I'd like those gifts for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you should. You, you and my husband would so get along. He would love to show you his like gun collection. He's so excited about. But I love that you teach people how to survive, and it's not just about guns. So I know, Paul, but there might be some people that are like unsubscribe right now because she is into guns. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think it's very important for people to know how to use a gun, how to shoot a gun, um, how to protect themselves, how to survive. And so you teach all these skills in your courses. And it's not just about guns, but it's like basic necessities that sometimes people miss that you're you're like dude, these are the basic necessities you need. Like you need to have a supply of water. You need to have some dried food. Like you have all of that. So what are some of the things that you teach in, in, in this course and how can people find out about it? Yeah. And I mean, so I teach three things. I mean, we'll come back to the course in a second. I teach people how to be leaders, warriors, and, and providers. I often talk about it. You can substitute entrepreneur, but at the end of the day, those are the three things that are going to make you feel good about yourself. Most people are good in one area naturally, or, or maybe they're not good in any areas, but you are going to feel amazingly confident if you have some level of ability in all three of those areas. So leaders, leaders warriors, warrior, provider, provider. Okay. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I'm doing those things. There I'm, you go. I'm, so, I'm learning from you to be better at it, but I'm doing it. And that's what I want to teach. I want to teach everybody because, you know, we, we live in a day and age. The number one thing I teach is self-leadership. Like, you know, it's great. We all need 
teams and we need people to rely on. But at the end of the day, if you're not effectively leading yourself, you're never going to lead anybody else. You're and so at the end right. of the day, if you're struggling or if you are trying to overcome something, no one is going to help you if you're not willing to help yourself. So the base level we got to start with is you. And, and that goes from everything from providing for your family and having a good job and negotiating a salary or being an entrepreneur and providing something of value to leading yourself, leading your family, leading other people in your community, most importantly, leading yourself. And then the last one is the warrior side. And it doesn't mean I expect you to throw on some body armor and you know run off to Ukraine or Israel. But what it does mean is, God forbid, somebody kicked in your door or tried to carjack your car, you have a warrior's and an overcome mindset. Um, or even at a, at a different level, man, look at the weather patterns that have been happening lately. Our weather's doing insane things. So how many of you are actually prepared if you suddenly had a major storm hit your community where you're now without power for months? Or God forbid, there was such a catastrophic weather event that occurred that uh, first responders couldn't get to you for a week. Mm -hmm. So now what happens if, you know, a board flies through your house and impales somebody in your house? Who's going to do something? Well, if you don't have at least a basic level of training, your loved one's just going to bleed out. These are all the things we teach in our Overcome and Survive course. I want to take the average everyday American citizen and teach them how to know basic trauma first aid, how, how to put a tourniquet on, how to pack a wound, how to deal with if somebody stops breathing, um, how to do basic CPR, uh, all these things, how to um, how to survive, you mm -hmm. know, if, if mm -hmm. the worst happened. And we also teach you how to use weapons and how to uh, handle dangerous situations or dangerous people. Our, our number one goal, I'm not going to make you John Wick. There are people that show up that think that's going to happen. I'm not <laughs> John Wick. So, but what I am going to do is teach you how to evaluate a situation and hopefully get out of that situation without any violence. But God forbid it goes to that level, I will have you confident in your abilities to deal with it. So uh, that's so good, Jason, that that what you just said, confident in your abilities, because I think that carries over so much. Let me tell you, because so I I have a belt in Krav Maga, I did Muay Thai kickboxing and regular boxing, and I, I did it, I think, because I had people beat the crap out of me and I was like, I'm going to be strong. So I'm going to learn how to fight for myself. Uh, right before I moved back to Texas, I was in LA and my daughter and I are riding our bikes and I had a homeless person jump me. And uh, I told, I yelled at my daughter. I was like, keep going, keep going, keep riding Ruby. So she kept riding. The homeless person jumped me. As soon as I got up after I'd fallen off the bike, got up and I stood up to her. There was no fight, but it was the confidence I had in myself that I was ready. I was like, bring it. <laughs> that, that homeless person looked at me like, oh, shit, I just messed with the wrong person. She's ready to take me down. And that is what a course like this gives you, because it gives you the confidence that you can protect yourself, that you can get through hard things. So I love, love, love that you are doing this. I think it's so needed, especially now in the world with what's going on. How can people find out about that and get involved with that? On our website, overcomeandsurvive.com. So we're running two classes next year. We may run an advanced course in the summer, but right now we have a course in October, or I'm sorry, a course in April and a course in November. So you would fly here to 
um, the Virginia Beach area. We run the course down in uh, Moyoc, North Carolina, but everything's included. And I've, I've had some people and say- And how long is the course? It's two and a half days, but um, we- Two and a half days, okay. Everything, because I have some people say, man, this seems expensive, but everything's provided. Your ammo, your weapon, your lodging, your food, we cover everything. All you need to do is show up and we will train you. Uh, you will walk away. Uh, a better. I teach you how to build a go bag. I even provide you with a starter go bag. And a go bag is a, it's an emergency bag that God forbid something happened. You can grab this bag and you can survive for a period of time with the things that are in there. And you know what? I, I think that people don't realize how expensive ammo is. It's, it's very, very expensive. So we'll definitely have the link for that in the the show notes. And oh my gosh, Jason, you're freaking amazing. I feel like I, I just want to like talk to you all day. And I know we have like three minutes left. And so I'll this, do a part two. I know you're so amazing. I, I actually yeah. want to have you and Erica back on the show when your book comes out. Okay. So Love you're that. doing your new doing a new book. That's right. With your wife, which I am so excited for. It's all about relationships. And my goodness, when you've been through hard times together and you can give some people some advice on, because nowadays I feel like people just give up. You know what I mean? And my husband and I have been together for almost 18 years and he has been with me by my side through 34 surgeries. And believe me, I'm crazy. I kind of put him through hell and he's still with me. Yeah. Maybe we need to write a book too. Um, <laughs> maybe, yeah. I want you to share a little bit about your book that's coming out. And I will, I would love to have you and Erica on the show when that comes out and just have you on again, like for a part two, because there's so much that you offer just besides, I mean, you've got your legacy tried coaching program. Yeah. Um, you're speaking that you do all over the world. Y'all have to check him out, check out his website. And I promise I'll have him back on because uh, seriously, this is like, I'm fan and girl, I'm fangirling you right now because I'm just so amazed by all you do, but tell us a little bit about your, your book with your wife. Yeah. So the book came about because in the Trident, I tell Erica's story and I really wanted the American people to see what our military spouses and specifically our special operations spouses go through. So a lot of people knew who she was because of that. And then she helps me run my business. So they are mm -hmm. our business. Let me rephrase that. She helps <laughs> our business. She, she's yeah. got you good there. She's like, Oh no, our business. Well, honey. always. And it's my yeah. it's our team, you know, it's not, these aren't my employees. These are my team members. So, I mean, that's a mindset of how you build a good culture and a team. And I think we've run our family that way, our relationship that way. And I think a lot of people saw it. So they said, how have you guys done it? SEAL teams have a 90% divorce rate. Wounded warriors have almost the same. Is that uh, right? Couples that run businesses don't often have a good track record that creates a lot of stress and friction. And we have done it at a very high level. And she is what I like to call my most important teammate. And, and but that takes you have to be intentional and there's a lot that goes into it. So the book is kind of broken into multiple parts. Um, number one is choose wisely. So we're kind of hoping individuals that maybe are in the beginning of a relationship, really dig deep into who that person you're marrying is. And you really know who they are and that your goals and dreams are aligned and you dig yeah. into everything and understand, you know, where, 
this person wants to go, does it align with where you want to go? Because if not, mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for a lot of problems and a, and a hard road. It's um, so true. So true. And it becomes, yeah, shared goals and dreams, communication, and then navigating through our problems. So, so it's called Invincible Marriage. It will come out uh, February 25, but we'll be doing stuff. Uh, we are, everything's on track for us to launch a new podcast next year. The two of us are going to be running a podcast called The Most Important Teammate. And it's going to be about couples and relationships and overcoming adversity and all that. So oh my God, are you serious? Yeah, I don't know when it'll come out. Probably the beginning of the year, first quarter, or maybe the start of the second quarter. We got to get- That is so awesome. Yeah. And you know what, Jason? It so is so needed. You guys on. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. And and can I tell you something? So when I first started my podcast, I begged my husband, I wanted him to be my first guest. And he was like, no, 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 no. So it took a hundred episodes for the hundredth episode. I was like, will you please be my guest for the hundredth episode? And he said, yes, because he's a little more private. He's the best guy. He would give you the shirt off his back. He's so yeah. amazing. He was my hundredth episode. That episode has more downloads than any other episode that I've done. And I think it's because people really want to know, like they want to know from Erica. They wanted to know from Johnny. They want to know behind the scenes. I mean, behind we the scenes. Yeah. And how do you really do it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is a great idea. You let me know when that's out and I'm happy yeah. to promote that for you as well. Jason, thank you. I want to have you back. I want to okay. have you back so, on the show because yeah. there's so many other questions I wanted to ask get you. Get into the middle of the year. And, yeah. uh, and look, y'all, if you're looking, these are his his books right here. Yeah, you can They're get them beautiful. on all the major platforms. Or if you want signed copies, you can go to jasonredmond.com and, and I'll personalize it. There's a little box that you can fill out and say, hey, please make this out to me or my son or daughter or whoever. But these are beautiful, like legitness books, like <laughs> amazing, amazing. So I'm just so grateful to have you on the show. Tell people the best way again, tell them the best way to find you. Um, and I'll have all your links in the in the show notes. Yeah, well. JasonRebin.com. And from there, you can find me on all the socials. I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, but I put out uh, at least a video, if not two a week on YouTube. Um, my Monday Musters is just motivational content. I put out every week about how to be a better leader, team member, better version of you. And uh, so, yeah, you can find me on all those things. And I'm just trying to, as I like to say, I have a shirt, trying to be the light in the world. Full you of are. You are amazing. You are such a light. You're such a bright light. And I so appreciate you being on the show. I've been so excited about this. So thank, yeah, thank, you. You. thank, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for inspiring me in the world. And um, I look forward to talking to you again. And thank y'all for tuning in to the True Grit and Grace podcast and being here. And Jason, thank you again. I appreciate Brilliant. you. Appreciate we'll see you. you next week. Yeah, thank you.